Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us. Thank you, God, that you're a God who speaks and who reveals yourself to us. Uh, what a privilege it is uh, that we are able to, to read your word and know your thoughts. Um, well, we thank you that uh, we can come together and do that. Please um, uh, guide us, help us to put your words into practice and help us to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I must admit, I used to think that the first thing to disappear from a distinctively Christian life uh, under pressure was prayerfulness. That's what I thought, that's probably the first thing to go, right? I'm not so so sure now. Uh, If we think back to Israel as an example, Israel in the wilderness, them hardening their hearts, the first thing to go under pressure was really not so much their prayerfulness, but it was actually their hope, I think, followed by faith and followed by their love. And the first sign or piece of evidence that these great Christian characteristics were disappearing is thanklessness. Thanklessness. Hard to say that, thankfulness and thanklessness. But I think that was the first sign or piece of evidence that these Faith, hope and love, those three great characteristics were on the outer. Israel in the wilderness still made their desires known, so they still shouted out more food, um, more meat, uh, more water, better leadership, those sort of things. They still shouted those out. Read Exodus for a fuller account. Um, uh, That's my summary of Exodus. (laughs) And they made their desires known to God, uh, sorry, they made their desires known not to God, but they made their desires known to Moses. And that's what what complaining people do, don't they? Don't we? And as they did this, thankfulness for God's extraordinary grace and his rescue out of Egypt, all that, that was pushed to the side. Now, it seems to me that's the same with many people, me included, when life is under pressure. We don't stop praying, well, not at first anyway. Often our prayers become more urgent and desperate. We're like the drowning man who's, who uh, who's cries out for rescue and promises to serve God forever if only God would rescue him. We still pray because well, others are praying around us and well, we pray because it's their, our routine. If you read Psalm 95, Psalm 95 is a, a, a great passage of the psalmist's take or his commentary on the Israelites complaining in the wilderness. Psalm 95 teaches us that complaining or thanklessness is not a a theologically neutral activity. I'll say that again. Psalm 95 teaches us that complaining or thanklessness is not a theologically neutral activity. You hear that? The cogs moving around in there? It's not theologically neutral. Psalm 95 tells us that we'll be called called to account for that. Thankfulness and thanklessness are not theologically neutral responses. Both take us out of the, the routine and the daily life or whatever to the, the ordinary into the eternal. That's what they do. That's the thankfulness and thanklessness. They take their eternal things. So today, before we jump into our series on Titus, that's next week. You can start reading that if you like. That'll be great. We're going to think about thankfulness. Think about thanklessness as well. We'll focus on Paul's example through his relationship with the church at Colossae. We're just going to really focus on a few verses, actually, from chapter 1. And we'll have a look at what causes such thankfulness and we'll challenge ourselves to be a reason 
for thankfulness. Now, there's a danger, though. There's a, I think there's two dangers. Might be more, I don't know. Uh, two dangers in, um, in doing a one-off sermon on thankfulness. One of them is that you end up going on a bit of a guilt trip. Uh, jump on board. I'm there as well. Okay? Uh, that, that, we don't really want that. We don't really, it's actually, in some ways, it's, it's important. Uh, but that's not the purpose of what we ought to be doing here today. Um, the second danger is that it turns into a bit of a self-help talk. In other words, if, if, if you're thankful for everything, well, you'll feel good about yourself and life will go better. Thankfulness is a good thing to have. You might see it on, on uh, you know, Ellen or something like that. Um, self-help. The Bible doesn't use that language and doesn't speak about thankfulness like that, as we'll see today. So they're the two dangers. One, that we go down a guilt trip. We don't, don't have to do that. And second, it turns into a self-help. So let's try not to do those two things. All right, let's open up to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have that already, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to do a little bit of Bible flicking, flicking but most of it's in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. It's the first point in our outline there, giving thanks to God. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. So thankfulness is a distinctive characteristic of the Christian life. It's like running is to the marathon runner. It's like singing is to the singer. It's like reading is to the reader. Thankfulness to the Christian. Now, I like being thanked. It's nice. It feels good. I like being having a bit of pat on the back. Who doesn't like that? It's true. I think we like that. Uh, actually, it's an encouraged way to love and encourage others in the church, isn't it? To thank them, particularly if they've served in a particular way. But we're not told to be people who look for thanks and praise. We're not, are we? We're, the, the characteristic of a follower of Jesus is not accepting thanks, it's being thankful. We've got to see the difference, don't we? So thankfulness is a distinctive characteristic of the Christian life. In Colossians, it's commonly repeated. Uh, it's a common exhortation. So let's do a bit of flicking. Come with me. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12. So Paul prays for the church that they will be joyfully giving thanks to the Father, uh, just as he does for them in verse 3, you'll notice. What about 2 verse 7? Paul urges the Colossians to be over, I'll say it again, overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, 3 verse 15, so over the page for me. 3 verse 15... Right at the end there, it's just simply, and be thankful. End of that verse. Let's keep going. Through verse 17. Again, towards the end of that verse, we give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. And finally in 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So it's very clear, isn't it, what Paul's getting, getting here, this, this church to think about and what God wants us to focus on. Thankfulness is a distinctive characteristic of the Christian life. But let's, let's look at it the other way around. Let's look at thanklessness. What does the Bible say about that? We won't look it up right now, but Romans chapter 1 is a good place to go. Paul writes in Romans 1 that thanklessness expresses the dark foolishness of the human heart to fail to give thanks to God, the creator, our maker, our sustainer. That's Romans 1. Romans verse 21. Uh, they did not honour God as God or give thanks to him. It's foolishness to not be thankful to the one who created us and sustains us. That's what Romans 1 says. It's foolishness not to realise that we really do owe everything to God. He's given us everything. Yeah, there's a bit of a, um, 
uh, an issue at the moment with, uh, uh, well, I suppose it's emerging, you might have seen some ads on TV even, and uh, in various social media and so on, about paramedics and emergency services, and we actually see it in nursing and an emergency in the hospital as well. It's where the patient, the one being rescued and, and looked after and saved and sustained, it's where the, the patient complains or fights back or even lashes out. You might have seen those, those ads. Uh, even to the point of making any rescue or care impossible, they've got to bring the, the cops to come in and, and keep the place, keep it all safe. It, it's crazy, isn't it? I just can't get my head around it. Why would anyone do that? If someone's trying to save you and keep you alive and sustain you and, and, and do all that and you lash out, it creates foolishness. Uh, foolishness of the one who's rescuing you. And such thanklessness is not only foolishness, but it demonstrates, I think, what demonstrates the human heart that we see in Romans 1. Imagine that. Imagine that such an attitude with God, our creator, our rescuer, our sustainer. That it's foolishness not to thank God like that. That's what Romans 1 says. You see, God's very serious about thankfulness and thanklessness. And so is Paul. His thankfulness is no formality, as if it's just something he mentions at the start of all his letters. Well, I'll get this over and done with, then I'll get on with the real stuff. Not at all, no. Uh, it's not like one of those, do you write emails like this? I'm a bit like this, I must admit. You know, just the formality of, I hope this email finds you well. You've probably got an email from me like that. I'm, I do apologise. Um, I do mean it most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm guilty of that. It's not what Paul's doing here at all. Uh, oh, I think of another example, like saying grace before the meal. Come on, you've all done it. It's saying the same grace about five times in a row. Um, again, oh, yes, I do that. I was thinking that maybe, maybe Michelle, we should, um, we should sing grace next time, just to mix it up a bit. No, she's not too keen. <laughs> I was thinking the Superman grace. You know the Superman grace? Thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Great one. Um, now, being thankful before the meal, yes, it's actually a really good habit. It really is. Don't stop doing that. Uh, thank God for those things he gives us. It's very important. But thankfulness to God mustn't be a formality. And it is, certainly is not the case with Paul uh, at the start of his letters, throughout his letters. It's not a formality. Paul's thankfulness at the start of this letter is an expression of the very change that had taken place in the lives of this group of people in this church. Now, there's a challenge there, isn't there? So if you're a follower of Jesus, do you share in Paul's thankfulness to God for what's taken place in your life? I haven't quite got to Paul's thankfulness, the details of it yet. But do you share in that thankfulness? Or is that thankfulness just a bit of a formality? Something I need to do when I come to church, say a prayer or two? Or is it a reality? So what, what produces then this thankfulness to God that should characterise the Christian life? What produces that? I want to come back to that question just in a moment. Let's see what it's not first. Let's notice that as good as these things are, which I mentioned in a moment, what produces Paul's thankfulness is not food. It's not a good meal. He doesn't mention that, does he? He doesn't even talk about good health, family, friends, sporting achievements, and so on. 
You see, what we thank God for says a lot about our priorities, what we consider as important. So parents, well, we must be more excited and thankful to God about his work in your child's life than any of the gifts that he or she has received from God, whether they're sporting prowess, musical ability, academic achievement. We've got to be more excited about God's work in our life. What produces our thankfulness speaks a great deal about our priorities as parents. But it's not just parents, is it? All of us, all different stages of life. We must ask ourselves, do we share in Paul's thankfulness of God for what's taken place in your life and in, those, uh, in the lives of those around you? What we thank God for says a great deal about our priorities. So let's take Paul's example. Now, we know at the time, the last verse in Colossians tells us that Paul's in chains. He's probably in a Roman cell. Uh, he's got plenty to complain about, no doubt about it. But Paul's thankfulness does not come simply from how well things are going for him. The thankfulness that marks the Christian, which this letter uh, speaks so much about, is always much more than happy days. Always. So I wonder how well we know this thankfulness. I'll challenge you a bit. I guess the test is how much we know of this thankfulness when life is not as happy as we'd like it to be or when life is under pressure. What then happened to, the, to cause Paul to write these words to the church of Colossae? What happened? That's our second point in our outline there. Verse 4 and 5. The immediate cause of Paul's thanksgiving to God was something that happened in the lives of these Colossians. Now, these Colossians were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. Now, in modern Australia, we, the Jew-Gentile thing, we don't really get, let's be honest here. Um, we, it's not foremost in our minds, but it certainly was for first-century Christians, especially for Paul and, well, those in the church at Colossae. Let me try to explain Paul's excitement and his reason for thankfulness. See, going right back to God's promises to Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, going right back there, God promised to Abraham that through his descendants, the nations would be blessed. So through Abraham's descendants, that's Israel, through Abraham's descendants, the nations would be blessed. That's the Gentiles, the non-Jews. The world will be blessed uh, through uh, Abraham's descendants. But how? And in many ways, that's what the rest of the Bible works out. And the rest of the Bible, including the prophets, start to ask that question. How do the nations, how does God's promise get fulfilled? How, does the nations, how, how are the nations blessed through Abraham's, these promises to Abraham from God? The prophets ask those questions. Isaiah is a good example. So Isaiah chapter 2 asks, Isaiah asks, how will the nations come to the mountain of the house of the Lord? How's that going to happen? Uh, how will the nations come to God's light? Isaiah 60. Well, here's why Paul thanks God. When Paul heard, from a guy called Epaphras, when Paul heard about what had happened to this group of Colossian Gentiles who had become believers, he understood that God's ancient promises concerning the nations were being realised as they put their faith in Jesus, God's, Abraham's descendant. Do you see that? That's why he thanks God. That's why he thanks God. 
God's plan is coming to fruition. It's being fulfilled. And these, this little church at Colossae is all part of it. This little bunch of Gentiles is all part of it. Imagine the scene then. Close your eyes if you need to, if that helps. But imagine this. So here's the... Colossae is a little church. Little church in a meeting room about... Probably about a quarter of this room here. That's what we think. They're not a big house. They weren't very wealthy or anything. This is Philemon's house. We, sorry. This is Onesimus's house. I think that's right. Philemon's house? Philemon's house. Thank you. Um, uh, Onesimus is another story, not another sermon. So the men in Philemon's house, it wasn't a big room. Men and women, children packed in together. The servants there as well. All right. Probably the cat and the dog. Maybe a couple of chickens if you're lucky. They're, they're all in together. And Tychicus arrives. Now, Tychicus, is, uh, he brings the letters. He's the, sort of the, the envoy. He brings the letters. Uh, Philemon is attached to uh, that um, main letter of Colossians. The letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, has arrived. We're all a little bit excited. And he starts reading from Colossians. Gets it out, he probably like a scroll or something like that. Or, uh, he starts reading. And he, and he gets to verse 3. And he hears from Paul, the famous Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's the guy who shared the gospel with Epaphras, our pastor. Sorry if you're still closing your eyes at this point. You can come back with me if you want to. But you can still imagine it, can't you? So he gets to verse 3. We always thank God when we pray for you. Imagine that. Imagine that. And as the letter is read through, oh, their hearts are warm, don't they? Their hearts are warmed by the Apostle's words. The thankfulness he has for them because of what God has done in them, uh, God has done uh, with them. He has brought them, these Gentiles, let's be honest, these outcasts at that time, into God's family. What once was alienated because of their sin has now been reconciled through Christ Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 21. Not only has Paul, the Apostle Paul, not forgotten about them, and Epaphras too, but God has not forgotten them. They're part of God's church. They're accepted in his family. These Gentiles have been and always will be and always have been part of God's plan. They are fulfilling the promises right there. God is fulfilling his promises through them that he made way back to Abraham. No wonder Paul thanks God. When he sees that. Well, verse 4. He thanks God because we have heard of your faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Their faith in who? Do you see who it was? In Christ, the Messiah. The long-awaited king. God's king, their faith in Christ Jesus, Christ and Messiah are the same word. Their love for one another, the love for all the saints. That's in reference to actually the Jews, really, Israel. Um, so in other words, their love for one another, the love that crosses boundaries. That's what Paul's thankful as well, Jew and Gentile. And their hope that they share, hope that is beyond this world. Faith and love that spring from hope. That's why Paul thanks God. That's why Paul thanks God. Now, how did all this happen then? How did it happen? What this, this change in them, their faith and love and, and hope? Well, the next couple of verses, verse 5b, uh, I guess we'd call it, uh, to 6. So let's continue on. 
So uh, go from verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. How did it happen? Well, through the gospel, the good news coming to them, the word of truth. Now, Paul uses the word gospel uh, purposely. Use it to make a point. I'll explain the point. He uses it for good reason. The word gospel and good news is the same word. It's the same Greek word. It means the same thing. The message that had now come to Colossae and changed the lives of these Gentiles was the good news, the gospel about Jesus. The same good news, for example, which the prophet Isaiah promised would come and be proclaimed. So let's do a bit of Bible flicking. If you've got your Bible there, let's go to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Keep your finger in Colossians, though. You won't need any more fingers, just two fingers at this point. Isaiah 52, verse 7. And it says, Here's the prophet Isaiah speaking of what is to come, the good news to come. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, if you had your Old Testament Greeks in front, Greek translation in front of you, anyone got that today? No? Okay, that's okay. It'd be the same word, all right, as we see in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, second part of verse 7, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings. NIV says good tidings. It's the same word again. It's good news. It's, um, I don't know why the NIV people did that. Just a bit of variety, but it's the same word. Good news. Who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Uh, you see what Paul's doing. Paul's using that word gospel, that word that means good news on purpose. He's using it so these Gentile readers can see the connection, that they are part of God's plan being fulfilled, that they are part of God's promises being fulfilled, the gospel going to the nations. They are part of God's plan of salvation through the preaching of the gospel. And again, no wonder Paul thanks God. No wonder he does. That's how it happened. This gospel, this good news coming to them and them responding in faith and hope and love. Well, verse 6 tells us that all over the world, this gospel, the same gospel that Paul's been preaching, this good news, is bearing fruit and growing. Now, in the church at Colossae, this meant, we skip over to verse 10, you can go to Colossians chapter 1 now, uh, leave us Isaiah, Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, this meant good work, this bearing fruit and growing meant good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, That's the change that the gospel brings, it brings gospel fruit, good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So Paul was thankful for their good work, uh, the fruit of the gospel, you see? Now I reckon that fruit would have looked pretty similar to the fruit we see in our church. Uh, lots of examples here, aren't there? I, I didn't have to think long at all. Um, you might think of how, how do people serve in our church? You see it all the time. Um, serving one another. I don't know, cleaning up after a meal, setting up morning tea, doing morning tea, uh, doing the gardens. Uh, We we had the Cape and Ray guys serving our church as well. Uh, Cleaning the toilets, packing away chairs, playing the music, encouraging one another with words that build up, uh, noticing when someone's been away and sending them a note. Uh, That's gospel fruit. It took about two weeks or more than that for that to happen in the first century. It takes us a few seconds, doesn't it, today? It's pretty easy. Uh, 
That's gospel fruit. Why, why do we do these things? To serve the church. Uh, yesterday morning, on, sorry, yesterday morning, yes, Saturday morning, I was in the office pretty early, and someone had, had come between leaving Friday night after the youth ministry about nine-ish, someone had come between them and between about eight o'clock in the morning and set up for morning tea. Uh, now, I don't know who this person was, but I, don't, I think they had better things to do, to be honest, but they came because they loved our church. They came because they wanted to serve. Gospel fruit. Someone, I, don't, I guess I could find out who it was. It's on the roster. I haven't looked. But someone on Saturday afternoon cleaned the toilets. Gospel fruit. I imagine that's not the thing they really look forward to all week. Well, maybe it is. Good for you if that's the case. You can do it again and again if you like. Um, <laughs> just gospel fruit. They do it because they love the church. They love God and it needs to be done and they're serving the church so we can have nice clean toilets to use. That's gospel fruit. Uh, serving in the kids' ministry, gospel fruit. Youth ministry, gospel fruit. Praying for one another. When we love and welcome all who come through that door, that's gospel fruit. We do it because of the faith, hope and love that God has instilled in us and given us and it works itself out as good works from the gospel that we know. Uh, when we share that same gospel with workmates or friends, that's gospel fruit. It's cause for great thankfulness. That's what it is. And we're just, just looking at our church. It's cause for great thankfulness of all that people serve and do. Uh, God working in people's lives through the gospel and bearing the fruit of service and good works. Well, finally, the last point in our outline there. When did this happen? Well, let's look at these last couple of verses pretty quickly. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6b so all over the world, you see that? All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Uh, I'll keep going. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So when did this change come about well you can see it there since the day you heard the gospel and understood the grace of God in all its truth they heard it and they understood it now having said that the Christian experience should not be reduced to just an intellectual uh, gaining of uh, grasping of ideas but nor should we ignore the importance of hearing the word of truth and understanding it these Christians at Colossae heard this word from Epaphras uh, described by Paul, you can see it there as a faithful servant, um, dear Epaphras. Dear is also, you can, you can translate it beloved if you want to, uh, beloved. And now we know that he became a uh, follower of Jesus under Paul's ministry, probably when Paul was in prison. And then following that, he went to Colossae to plant a church. And uh, that's the church that Paul writes to here. So at one point before this letter was written, Epaphras reported back to Paul and told him of all the good things that were going on in this church. He told them of the, their love in the spirit, for example. So Paul is clearly thankful to God for Epaphras, and no doubt the church is thankful to Epaphras as well. Now what do we get out of this then? Well, we see, we notice again, that uh, what produces thankfulness in Paul's letters is gospel workers, people like Epaphras. Or like the person that you first heard about Jesus. You remember that person? I hope you do. The person who first shared the gospel with you. 
uh, the person who got alongside you and encouraged you and so forth. Paul thanks God for people like Epaphras. Uh, we ought to thank God for people like Epaphras in our lives. Cause for great thankfulness. Okay, let's pull a few things together. We'll pray and then we're going to hear... Um, well, I'll give you a chance to make any comments too. Uh, the Bible's clear, isn't it? I think. Followers of Jesus must be people of thankfulness. For thankfulness and thanklessness are not spiritual or theologically neutral responses. What we thank God for says much about our relationship with God. I read Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to pray a prayer that we often pray in this service. Uh, often it's up on the screen, but I'm just going to have it here. And then I'll, I'll say amen. We'll see if anyone's got any comments or questions, and then we'll continue our service. Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we give you humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. We praise you for creating and sustaining us and for all the blessings of this life. But above all, for your amazing love in redeeming the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, giving us grace and the hope of glory. Give us such a sense of all your goodness that we may be truly thankful and may praise you not only with our lips but in our lives by serving you in holy and righteous ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honour and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, I'll give you a moment to think if you want to um, and we'll see if there's any... Um,